you're listening to episode 214 of the comics. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Yeah, what's going on with you, Well, You know, last week when I hatched that fill egg, I haven't been feeling so good. I've got... I think I... Oh, oh, what is, oh my God. Oh, whoa. Oh my God, I hatched a Pete. Oh, oh God, I'm back. I'm back, you guys. Oh, oh, what did I miss? Okay, the last thing I remember is that Marco is dead. But the real important question, is Sean still looking for a PS5? Uh, Apparently. I mean, still, that's not No, I'm not. Oh God! Okay, I got one. so the mission was a success. That wait—that was your mission. <laughs> that was the mission. I thought that's what I went and died for. Oh shit! <laughs> he oh, went oh. out and got exposed to the to the Rona just for the PS5. Yeah, wow. it took two whole weeks to resurrect me. <laughs> wow! After he quarantined. Wow! wow. What apparently, an honor. I, thank you. Apparently, I can only hatch one person a week. Uh, well, <laughs> you know, so okay. Fun gonna suck i have to do phil <laughs> <laughs> you know uh pal regeneration it takes a lot out of you is what i hear especially at that age yeah yeah did i say i hatched phil earlier you did <laughs> oops <laughs> well you know close enough can't right be perfect I'm uh, i can't well, miss cologne i can't keep track welcome back to uh welcome back to life pete well thank you thank you so much i'm glad to be back Thank you for aiding me in getting my uh, PS5. Anytime, anytime. You know, that's I'm here to serve the pals. You know. <laughs> well, if that were true, I would have one. Well, I guess I'll have to go die again. Okay, give me a couple weeks. <laughs> that's where Phil is. <laughs> Phil's getting me one. He's going to show up with an Xbox instead, though. <laughs> oh fuck! I'm in trouble. <laughs> Unreal. <laughs> Well, uh, we hope that you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, mine was pretty good. I, I got a PS5 that day. So, uh, you know, very pleased with that. Um, and that means we're on the road to Christmas. And so if you guys want to give the gift of giving uh, to us, you can do so by checking us out all over the Internet. If you want to talk to us, you can write in at the comicspals at gmail.com. While you guys are on whatever podcast hosting platform it is that you listen on, it would be great if you left us a rating. Those help us out a ton. Uh, Five-star rating is, of course, perfect for your five favorite pals. Uh, Make sure that you guys are liking us on social media at The Comics Pals. And if you're watching this on YouTube, that means that you saw Pete pop out of his egg during his resurrection (laughs) process. So why don't you guys leave us a like for that type of effort? Uh, and of course, while you're there, subscribe to our channel for more content just like that. <laughs> uh, Marco resurrected last week, Pete this week. You never know what you'll see on our YouTube. So head over there and hit that subscribe button. <laughs> Which one of us will take off our shirts next? <laughs> <laughs> and what else is taken off? You don't know. Uh, no. Save it for the OnlyFans, okay? <laughs> oh, God. Woo! <laughs> 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 Premium oh, content boy. every week. Oof, wow. I was uh, talking about the podcast. Right. 
We've I got, was talking about the OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> we've got uh, a new book club out this week. We've got Kingdom Come. So go check that out if you guys haven't already. Uh, it's it's a good one. It's a good one. And we're going to be closing out the year with Hicksville. That's a that the kale joint that we that we uh, we read for this month's book club, uh, December book club. So go go well. You can't go check that out, but you can go buy the book and then come check out the book club at the end of the month. And if you want to read it, you will have to buy it because we could not find it digitally anywhere <laughs> at all. So at yeah. all, so you like order it now so that you have enough time to read it before yeah. the book club. <laughs> Physically, of course, yes. You would have to. You have to physically buy it. Um, avail. It wasn't available digitally for purchase. So uh, head to, head over to Amazon or wherever. We all got our copies, I think, from Amazon. Yeah. So um, if they still have any left, go go do that. We probably got the only five copies left in existence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, anywhere. <laughs> It's like trying to get a PS5, except that they're not restocking. So, <laughs> yeah, except it's for a thirty-year-old book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, this was a pretty uneventful week in comics, other than the fact that we got the finale, the last three issues of Ten of Swords. So we'll be reviewing those in our Ten of Swords review finale special. Uh, we've got lots of thoughts about those books and just how the event went overall. So we'll be discussing that a little later on. Uh, I, I did want to start the episode by talking about a creator who, you know, he got a he he got a little he got he got a bad rap this week. Uh, and no. of course, I'm talking about Dan Slot, Rob Liefeld. Oh, listen. Okay. We can oh, we can do that every week. We had a whole <laughs> segment on Rob Liefeld at one point. Uh, I'm talking about Dance Slot because there's a show. Uh, it's a documentary series on Disney Plus called Marvel Six One Six. Oh, I want to mm-hmm. watch it. Yeah, me too. Especially now. And <laughs> basically, <laughs> now there's drama. It it, it spotlights uh, various different elements of the way that they make. The sauce, you know, um, they 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 take a look at uh, creators or you know fans or different aspects of comics and and you know the fandom that exists around them. And this week they spotlighted Dan Slott, and boy was this episode a doozy. <laughs> uh, basically, the 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 majority of the episode was about how Dan Slot sucks. Uh, whoops. Wait, really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so Tom Brevoort, who, you know, is, is at that stage of his career where I, I guess he really just, he's too big to care. Uh, I mean, it's untouchable. Yeah. <laughs> He spent a lot of the episode uh, just kind of crapping on Dan. Um, not in the way of like, boy, does he suck at his job, but just pointing out things that 
for the layman would make you think that the guy's not very good. So they show you an in, uh, a conversation between the two where Tom is talking about some ideas that Dan has for whatever book it is that he's going to be working on. I think um, I think this takes place during like the Iron Man, Fantastic Four era of Dan's career, where those were the primary books he was working on. Of course, now he is still working on Fantastic Four, but he has since uh, dropped Iron Man. So uh, Tom says, I know you've got a lot of ideas and very little actually put together. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Not a great start. (laughs) No. And uh, at some point he says, it's not good enough and you need more time. Which is also rough, and uh, at one point Tom is 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 uh, speaking he, during the interview, not with Dan, but during the interview for the documentary. He says we use the term "work loosely" when it comes to Dan. Dan is terrible Thanks. with his deadlines. Damn. We also learned that Dan Slot is one of the only writers left who still uses the Marvel method. Of course, the Marvel method was invented uh, by Stan Lee. Interesting. That's yes. interesting. Now, now this is what I'm here for. Huh. <laughs> Give me the Marvel juice. method was invented by Stan Lee because he was working on so many books that he would just basically come up with like the 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 the, the plot of it and write a very very loose script and kind of leave the rest of the work of the storytelling to the artist so that he could do a bunch of different books at once. And then he would come back um, and write the dialogue after that point, right? Exactly. Yeah. The, the, the artist would kind of just do everything else. And then uh, from my understanding, Stan would come in and fill in the, the words in the panels. However, the artist, you know, rendered it and that would be the book. Um, and according to Tom, that's what, uh, Dan still does. Wild. Um, and so if you are a reader of Dan Slot books and you pay attention, then you know that a lot of times he does have a co-writer. Mm. And so they interviewed his co-writer, his frequent collaborator, Christos Gage. Uh, a lot of times you will see his name on a Dan Slot book. And so mm. in the in the documentary, he says, but really, you know, I'm Dan's deadline helper. Oh, <laughs> yikes. Fuck. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yo. Um, so Dan admitted to feeling guilty about the fact that Joe Caramagna, who is um, the letterer on Iron Man, uh, frequently doesn't get the final script until the book like has to go to print within a couple of days, which of course puts Joe on crunch. Um, and so Dan admitting to feeling guilt for the fact that that is something that regularly happens. Um, and Pete Woods, who's the artist, uh, in the documentary says, someone please send me a script. Because of course he has to draw, and so the later, for those of you who don't know the way the, the 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 process sort of works, everything starts with the artist, or I'm sorry, with the writer. And the later the writer is at delivering you the script, 
the harder everyone else's job becomes. Mm. Uh, so if the, typically an artist needs a month to, to draw a full comic, and then a letterer needs less than that, but still a, quite a bit of time to get the job done, and so on and so forth. And of course, an editor has to come in and oversee the whole process and make sure that everything is is going the way they need to. And for the big two, they have to make sure that it's it's you know getting the story where they need it to go for their own purposes. So there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, and it starts with the writer. And if they're slow, everything else is slow. And then and then if you have inkers and colorists too, that adds two more steps to the inkers, the colorists. I mean, it's a whole fiasco. Damn. Yep. Uh, and of course, you know, there are not that many shortcuts that you can take to streamline this process. It kind of is what it is. Um, and of course, they address the death threats that Dan gets and, you know, for the fact that he killed off Peter Parker and replaced him with uh, Otto Octavius during the Superior Spider-Man era. Um, and <laughs> they showed some tweets that weren't all actually related or, or weren't all related to that in, uh, event in question. In fact, one of these tweets is uh, all the names are fake, so I'm not even going to bother reading them. But uh, it says, you know what's bad? Your Spider-Man run. And that they, they say the tweets from 2012. It's actually not. It's actually in response to Dan Slott's take that the Joker movie was bad, which, of course, did not come out until uh, 2018, 2019. So, uh, yeah. Sick. Part. But the not only have fans online come out in response to this and to talk about how shitty Dan Slott is as a human being. <laughs> But oh my so, God. so have creators. Um, uh, Ramon Villalobos said, editors never seem so pleasantly bemused when I whimsically fall behind on deadlines. Jealous of this Dan Slot thing. Veronica, Veronica James said, Dan Slot is committing workplace abuse and shouldn't be allowed to write comics anymore. <laughs> Yikes. Alice Cott said, there's five queer and BIPOC writers with fresh ideas and stellar work ethic Marvel could ha could hire instead of empowering Dan Slott to consistently blow his deadlines and mistreat his creative <laughs> teams. But it's almost as if the editor-in-chief who faked being a Japanese man for oh. doesn't care. <laughs> Give well, it to him. Fuck. Probably won't be uh, working at Marvel anytime soon. Uh, oh, he burned Sibley, that bridge a long time ago. <laughs> Matt Sibley said, I think you should leave voice. Does any does nobody see how absolutely fucked this is? And uh J.A. uh Michelin, Michelin said, I think we can all agree to never discuss Dan Slot again, as his employers are apparently just amused by his mediocrity. God, Jesus, the unbelievable <laughs> fucking shade. The tea is fresh, boys. <laughs> but Marvel method, though, like that's that's the laziest you can be in this the year of our Lord 2020 as a comic book writer. Like you're not even doing half the job. That's yeah. like writing antiquity for comics. I I don't know, guys. Marvel method. That's pretty like unbelievable that that that's how he uh works but 
Dan Slott is often one of the, he's like Bendis. He's like a, a Bendis type where it yeah. feels like he's always working on a bunch of different projects. Mm. And Bendis is a, is a nutcase. I've never heard about him working in the Marvel method. So, you know, no, I, I he, his, his stuff is so wordy. Right. It's, it, it's all Bendis. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you read his, his book, uh, words, for, words pictures. for pictures? Yes. I own it. Yeah. 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 Me too. Uh, it's like, he goes through what a script should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Dan so, Slot never yeah, uh, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what's so funny about it. And it's like, to your point, Sean, like, yeah, maybe he works on a lot of stuff, but sorry, it's not called pictures for words. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, the, the the fact that the the main criticism being levied against him is that he's like slow and misses deadlines when all he's doing is the Marvel method too is like, yikes, yeah, that's wild, yikes, well, and, like it's taking and, you that long to let the artist do all the heavy lifting. <laughs> well, and like. All the other stuff, like pushing the deadlines, like, you know, the getting the art done, the inking, the coloring, the lettering, whatever, like to a degree, that's like, that's bog standard for the industry, right? Like that shit happens all the time. Mm. But to add on that it's because he works in Marvel method. Oh, it's a cardinal sin. (laughs) <laughs> a man should be burned at the stake like <laughs> incredible i i can't believe that i i feel like this is actually pretty screwed up the way that people are reacting um i think that him, you mean yeah i think every creator who responded that way is pretty unprofessional um, I don't think that that's the way that you should be. It's not great. Yeah. Um, Dan Slott, like, you know, Veronica James to say he's committing workplace abuse. That's, I mean, that, to me, that's taking the word abuse, which means something really specific, especially workplace abuse. What that conjures up in your mind is not the same as what he's doing. And I really dislike it when people mm-hmm. do things like that because sure. it's not. Like that's okay. Let, like let's pump the brakes a little bit. Like he's not a garbage human. He's just bad with deadlines. Like there's a huge difference. Um, and you know, Dan Slot, like by all accounts, isn't a bad guy. I've never really heard like a bad word about him as a person. Um, but this is a guy. It's so funny, right? Like this is a guy who for eight years has had to deal with death threats and the, the abuse of fans on the internet. And you would think that someone dealing with that level of vitriol would have support from his cohorts, even yeah. if, you know, you know, okay, fine, he's laid on his books, but you would think that you wouldn't want to add to that. And so I think it's really scummy, and it shows a lot about the quality of people who would sit there on the internet the same place that the death threats are coming from and 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 take part in the dragging of of this guy. I so to push back on that I'll just a little bit cuz I don't I don't disagree with what you're saying in general. Um I'm I don't really like uh I don't know. I don't I don't like that whole mentality of like let's drag people, you know, like let's like throw someone in the jackals and you know, all kind of like I don't know, just like hate on them. Um but 
that said, I do think um, I do think there's something to be said for for someone's peers calling them out for not not being good and for like doing things like that, like that are shitty um, to do once let alone like as a rule that he as a rule turns in scripts late that he as a rule puts more work on the artists you know and also creates an artificial time crunch and all those things i think that that's all one thing when you're anybody in the industry but i think when you're when you're dan slot when you're somebody who's at the top of the game um i i do get some of that resentment and that anger um towards somebody who is that accomplished and that you know guy wrote you know he has i think he has the longest run on amazing spider-man um of all time like that's pretty much the that's the show you know like um so for you to be somebody who's operating on that level and being handed those kinds of opportunities and not being able to show up and do the work um, and not because, you know, because um, like fair play, right? Like an artist who I really, really love who's been criticized for being slow is Ryan Otley. But like to me, you see that work on the page, right? He takes a long time because he's a perfectionist and he tries to do like this great job, not because this guy's scripting in the Marvel method, really? Like, I don't know. Like, well, Okay, hold on. So, first of all, the reason he probably does the Marvel method is because he's slow. So, it's it, it like, if he didn't do that and they really had to wait for the full script with the dialogue in it, they probably wouldn't be able to publish the book in time. Then why does he get the job, though, right? Yeah. Because he's good. Is like, he well, good in the sense that his books sell, which I think is the thing that people are overlooking. And I, I think it's worth worth saying. It's all like comp- all the people and no no disrespect to them as human beings, but all the people that criticized him here don't sell. Their books have never sold anything close to what a dance lot book sells. And that doesn't mean that they can't criticize him. It means that obviously there's something that he's doing that's working because he. it's not like Marvel keeps him around because they just like the guy. They keep him around because his books keep the lights on. And th- that's that's definitely a fair point, right? Like <clears throat> not to take anything away from – it's it's like the same argument with like that comes up with Bendis, right? Where it's like you can ding him and make fun of him all, the, all day long, but like he's one of the best-selling writers in comics and like that's a fact. Mm. Right, people respond to what he does for one reason or another. Um, that said, I also think you can make a case that like having the opportunity to do Amazing Spider-Man um, for that long gives you a huge bump, and also that people will buy the Amazing Spider-Man, you know, because it's the Amazing Spider-Man. But it's it's Marvel's with. Batman. But uh, it's over with. His books now still, still sell. sell right. Yeah. Yeah. And and there's a case to be made that it's because he has chops and he earned a following while he was doing that book and they want to follow him and see what he does. And and that's that. But, you know, um, I don't know. And yeah, it's not not to 
say I outright disagree with anything that you're saying. I guess it's more to like play devil's advocate for that other side of the conversation of mm-hmm. like if this is how the guy works, like does he deserve that opportunity? You know, does he deserve that show when somebody who, you know, maybe um doesn't sell quite as much but is is a proven talent like could could do just could have write an amazing Spider-Man run, could write a, you know, a Fantastic Four that sells as well, but isn't necessarily given the 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 opportunity to work on a book that's on that level, you know. Well, let me ask you this: What reason does Marvel have? By which, by the way, none of these people work with them, right? So, whatever they're saying is their opinion about a situation that they're not in. Um. But what reason does Marvel have to not hire Dan Slott? Because it's like you, you're saying the word opportunity, but it's not an opportunity. It's not for him. a job that he does, that he does very well. Yeah. It's an opportunity for Marvel to make money and for him to make money. But the money's in the bag, right? It's not a risk. So what reason does Marvel have to say, you know what? Let's not put Dan Slott on Fantastic Four. Let's put Vita Ayala. I'm just throwing out a name. I have no issues with her whatsoever, or I'm sorry, with them, I think, whatsoever. Um, they've never had an opportunity on that level. They could succeed or fail, but just it's just a name. Don't, sure. don't get yeah. caught up in that. Yeah. What reason do they have to take Dan Slott off and put Vita on just to see what happens? Like, sure. Why? Well, I mean, I, I would take it from something like let's say let's say each of these are just like workplace projects, right? Like, sure, there's obviously a creative element to it in that you're able to output something that can communicate something clearly, right? And if you're able to do that, if somebody else is able to do that, either to a similar level um, or to be able to put it out where everything is more organized, everything comes out quicker, is on time. That, that workflow process from an organizational standpoint is more profitable than having delays or having issues within a workflow because that that also helps the people outside of that, right? Like it's not, it doesn't just become a dance slot issue or a Vida Ayala issue, it becomes a Vida Ayala plus the colorist plus the cover artist plus the 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 penciler or whatever, right? It, it's it's a multifaceted team effort that then becomes optimized and is more valuable than all right well this guy obviously sells plus how do you know it's more valuable that's i mean it's a private company that's that that's the basis of office workplace life like that that is that is what you do if you if you find somebody who isn't effective as a team member your option is either get them up to par or fire them but plus but hold on in your world marco the one person probably doesn't result in direct money the way that Dan Slot does. I mean, if you have a good relationship with, let's say, like a client, right? You're somebody who is the the face of, let's say, an account, you have good standing with them. That that is obviously important. But if you're not putting out the deadlines and at, at the end of the day, let's say the client gets frustrated by something like that, you can you can mitigate it however you want, but it doesn't mean that the the work isn't being put out in the way that is required or is needed. Who's the client in this in, in this instance? I guess in this case, the the Marvel production team and the putting it out to readers, like the deadline itself. Mm-hmm. 
the client is the deadline in this so analogy like, in the analogy like like the output of putting it out into uh, into stores not having it delayed i think the the point that sean's making though like in terms of how that's like kind of a clumsy analogy it's like it's not uh, it's not one to one because like you can't account for the x factor of the fact that like when a writer has a name people come for that name you know or like sure. when a writer has fans people like bendis could keep farting out you know mediocre book comics for the next you know whatever i don't know i don't know how old he is probably 20 30 years and people will keep showing up regardless you know and part of that is even just the dialogue of showing up to be like look it's not good um <laughs> and like comic fans are like that but i also think that to uh to the point that marco is making and to take it back into something that we talked about you know the last um couple weeks with all the stuff going on with dc is that there is also something to be said, I guess, for either like banking on old reliable or or taking risks with new talent, you know? And like one of the things that we saw DC doing, right, is like cutting a lot of their senior level talent for new blood who they can pay less, um, which is another like interesting wrinkle in this conversation is that Dan Slott's Spider-Man would probably cost a lot more to produce than um, any of, you know insert any mid-level to small-level creator because you could pay them less. And um, also, you were gonna, yeah. also to, to add on to that and to sort of add to Margo's point, like, his stuff is so late and so, uh, I don't know, Marvel methoded out, he has to have a, a another writer come in and pick up the slack for him. Like, that's a whole nother link in the chain another paycheck. that clogs up the work. Yeah. So, yeah. It's an interesting conversation either way. I think I think if you took Dan Slott's name out of this and you inserted like a lot of other names, people would not have this vitriol. I think Dan no. Slott became a punching bag in the industry. And I think whether people want to admit it or not, they're, they're using the fact that he has been a punching bag for so long to make this okay. And I don't think it's okay. Um to me, sorry, to make what okay? The 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 like the bullying. Yeah, the bullying. Okay. okay. Um, because Dan Slott's been bullied since he killed Spider Man, and this is not right. New. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to be clear on what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and and go ahead. I, well, I was gonna. Uh, why do they say, do they say why they picked him for this documentary at all? Like, um, I think they were just trying to highlight the industry and you know various different aspects of it and i think dan is the kind of he's a dan's a um team player and so i think he was willing to kind of make himself uh target by having this conversation he's probably the the most tenured i i i don't know this for a fact but i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that dan slot's probably the most tenured writer at marvel at the moment um, yeah probably yeah, if not the most, one of the most. So yeah, but um, hmm. I do, I do want to end the 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 conversation with a couple of uh, things that other creators had to say that didn't denigrate Dan. So this is from Pete Woods, the artist from Iron Man twenty twenty. Uh, he said, 
Dan took a bullet to add some narrative drama to the episode. Honestly, working on this issue was similar to every other job I've done. In fact, I've had much, much more stressful situations in my past. Bottom line, Dan sells a boatload of comics, and he's never so late that it's a problem. If you think he is, look at Iron Man 2020 and ask yourself how many fill-in artists and letterers there were. That's your metric for how much a writer fucks over his co-creators. And then Kwanzaa Osa Jafo uh, said, it came to my attention that some haters are trying to drag Dan Slott regarding his 616 episode on Disney+. And the main thing I have to say to y'all is you have no idea how the sausage is made. Absolutely none. Way too many of you project fantasies from the sidelines of how comics are produced. I worked in comics for a decade. That documentary is how the industry operates. Creators are either burning the midnight oil to make a deadline or late AF because of a myriad of things. We back each other up, collaborate, and work hard rather thanklessly in a medium we love, all for some dark fanboys and jealous posers to come for any perceived blunder while most would choke trying to pull off monthlies. It shows you have no idea what it takes. Mostly, it shows why a lot of clowns will never be in Dan's echelon. He is a great writer who Marvel taps for a lot of projects besides comics like games, TV, and, oh, documentaries, which makes writing difficult because you're shooting a documentary. Y'all are just feeling away knowing you'll die mad well. without a body of work notable enough for people to even bother dragging. Kick rocks and Excelsior, bitches. <laughs> Yo, that is savage. <laughs> yeah, you posers hating on my boy Dan Slot. That's hilarious. <laughs> Marvel method, though, man. <laughs> oh, Dan. <laughs> like, look, All right. my wife was an editor at Titan Comics, and if I if I could tell you the stories I've heard, I, none of them involve the Marvel method. I tell you that right now. I believe it. The Marvel method, though. I believe it. Isn't it? Isn't it funny though? Because like um, a book like Doomsday Clock, right? Doomsday Clock was unbelievably delayed, like mm -hmm. delayed like you wouldn't believe. Dan Slott books, unbelievably, yeah. Dan Slott books aren't delayed. Like I read Dan Slott books; they're not delayed. Um, yeah. Why? Why was Jeff Johns not dragged? I wonder. Shut up. Ah. There was Marco, a documentary we, should we, about him. Should we drag every creator who who's late on their deadlines? You think? Uh, pretty much, yeah. Any artists, any inker, uh, you know what? Any any uh, podcast that daddles, even you know? Mm, yeah, we don't. And I mean, look at us. We <laughs> we, we nothing. We don't <laughs> what? We're not late. No, yeah, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. <laughs> We got we got people in different fucking time zones so we can get shit done. <laughs> <laughs> the pals method. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Dan Slash should hit us up to learn about the pals method. Yeah, we can help him streamline his shit, you know? <laughs> Let's jump into the pals polls. Uh, for Marco, we've got Spy Island number four. Spyland. This is... Ooh. <laughs> Spyland. Real this missed is, opportunity, see, guys. Fucking Dan Pete's over here working on that Dan Slot level. <laughs> this fucking, is what I'm talking about. I'm giving this away. <laughs> Mar you can't Marvel method this shit. <laughs> this is a uh, Dark Horse book. It is the conclusion to 
the a Bermuda Triangle mystery by Ooh. Chelsea Kane and Elise McCall. Uh, I've been having fun with this book. Like it, there's um, really interesting stuff that they do from an art side. They have like these inserted like brochure type things and like little maps and stuff. It's fun. Oh yeah. Um, there. So this being the final issue, uh, I think Kafis and the or maybe Sultan of Swing in the Discord have been have been reading it as well. But um, I'm interested to see how it ends. I feel like there's a lot that sort of still needs to get wrapped up. So I'm curious to see where it kind of goes and, and, and how it sort of lands. But I, I've been having a lot of fun with it. So uh, if anyone's interested, this is the last issue when you have three issues to catch up. Awesome. And you also chose, of course, Strange Adventures number seven, which we will be reviewing. Pew, pew. Um, yo, Strange Adventures is good. Um, you guys should be reading it. I I think that they're doing stuff. They're, Gerard's and uh, Shaner in particular are doing some stuff that is like next level on the art. And if you're fans of that. <laughs> and I, also Tom King is there. <laughs> you know, Tom King's there. He's, he, he's, he's, he's doing his stuff too. Um, but I think, I think in particular, that's like, for me, it's been like an artist showcase. Um, and I'm, I'm interested enough in what's been going on with, with the writing and, and Tom King and the story overall that I've, I've been, enjoy, uh, I've been having fun and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing like this second half and where we sort of go from here with the, the knowledge and, um, the mystery. Awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm all on board for strange adventures. I, I think this issue will probably be the turning point. So I think so. Yeah. Uh, Kale chose Hellions number seven. I am not going to keep going with this book, but I, I do want to know like where sinister is going to come, come out of all this. Yeah. Um, you know, is he going to get punished for murdering his whole, his whole team or, you know, what, what's the deal? Um, so, uh, I probably won't pick up eight, but I am, uh, it does have me to a degree. You also chose Chainsaw Man Volume 2. Broom, broom, boys and girls. Broom, broom. No, just kidding. Uh, I'm not going to linger <laughs> on this or anything. Uh, I just wanted to call out that the uh, the uh, chapters are being collected. And so this is uh, Volume 2. So uh, go pick that shit up. What more could you really say about Chainsaw Man? What What else is there to say about Chainsaw Man? Broom, <laughs> broom. <laughs> Uh, I chose a different Tom King book, the Batman Catwoman series that we'll be picking up uh, this week. It'll be the start of that. We've been looking forward to that for an entire year, I believe. It's been a year since that book was first announced, and uh, we're finally getting the first issue. This will be the debut of the Phantasm, uh, the character from what a lot of people think is the best Batman movie ever, Mask of the Phantasm. It we is. don't know. We don't, we don't know, know it's the best movie. No, it uh, is. <laughs> we don't know what incarnation of the character this will be. It doesn't seem like it mm. would make a lot of sense for it to be the one to a one to one translation from that mm. movie to the comics, but uh, that's part of the mystery. And Tom King does love his mysteries, so. Um, 
this will show this book will showcase Batman and Catwoman's past, their present, and Catwoman's future. The implication, of course, being that at some point Batman will die and Catwoman will uh, be responsible for their love child. So um, that should be interesting. That's a funny way to put that. Why'd you say it like that? What do you mean? They won't get married. Their love child. I don't know. <laughs> I really, I really thought that you were um, at, gonna say for the cowl, and I was like, "Oh shit, that'd been crazy!" Like cat. That would be comes. crazy. Yeah, I thought I was gonna say that too. But then he said, "Love child." The child of their love. I guess. I guess. Kale's just yeah. not not used to parents loving each other. I guess I don't. <sighs> Um, children are born out of love what do you mean (laughs) it's not what i learned in church they're either (laughs) born out of accidents or responsibility nothing else uh or miracles well you know what they say about responsibility it's a miracle (laughs) yes that's the quote yes um also this book features Clayman on art, which is a big oh. reason why it's coming out so late. And I Tom could Keys not Marvel method. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Clayman should be dragged all over the internet um, for you know delaying the release of this book by an entire year. Um, it's all those fucking sketchy lines he does. <laughs> Everybody's so too sexy. <laughs> Boy, are you Take- right? take the sexiness down a level. Maybe we could read the fucking book. You know who else is uh, kind of sexy? I got to say this. Mark, Marco, I, Marco is wearing a V-neck. I get it. It's a V-neck. I get it. <laughs> well, some, <laughs> a, a quick aside. When I got on the call this morning, <laughs> when I got on the call, I, I said, uh, hey, what's the deal? And Marco went, oh, with the V-neck? And I went, no, Marco, you're fucking sexy as hell. I know what the deal with the V-neck is. <laughs> I'm used to that. Um, I, I mean, I'm able to resist Marco's charm somehow. I was actually referring to the one, the only Saturnine, who, of course, is one of the stars of Ten of Swords. And we're going to jump into our review of Ten of Swords right now. Was she Still tall enough for nine. you this time? Uh, no, no, there were some issues <laughs> with that. Um, uh, you know, and we're, we're, we're going to get into that because there were, I, there were times where I was just like, come on, what are we doing here? Like, do you not understand the reason why people are buying this book? Nine feet tall. That's what we want. We want giant women. Where, where is she this tall? Is it in like the Excalibur books? Because yeah. I don't think I ever saw her. She's huge. And like oh, the man, first, I gotta read that fucking book. And like the first two issues, like I remember they showed her like giant a few times. Yeah, in, in uh, Ten of Swords creation, I believe she's also yeah. giant. Hmm. She's just been um, little for this competition. Okay, so things kick off with X Men fifteen, of course, by Jonathan Hickman uh, with. Mamuda's Rar on art, um, and Sunny Go also on colors. Letters by Clayton Cowles and Tom Muller on design for all these issues. Um, and you really feel like you're in the end game now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it starts off with a conversation between Gene and Scott as they 
essentially determined that they need to go speak to the, the council about what's happening um, in other world. The fact that cable's in danger and according to what they know, because the last time they were able to psychically speak with him uh, before Saturnine cut the connection, the mutants, well, the Krakoan mutants were down significantly. I think the score was like 18 to 6 or something like that. Yeah. And so for them, it's urgent that they go and, you know, say, screw this contest. You know, we need to save our son and save our friends. Um, and that's the backdrop through which you kind of read this issue. It's, it's really that and the, the battle between Apocalypse and Genesis. Um, and a lot of decisions are made in this issue that will have impact not only throughout the rest of this event, but going forward into the future of the Krakoan mutants. What did you guys think about the way this issue ratcheted up the intensity and the framing of it, of these two, you know, these two scenes that really were the crux of this issue? This to me <clears throat> felt, and I know, I know I missed the conversation last week, and I know we had kind of said the week before though um, that th that we were really getting disappointed with where X of Swords had been going, and it felt like that it still had an opportunity to kind of pull the plane up and really make things feel a little bit grander. Um, and I think to me, that's this selection of issues was really where we kind of got back into that. And it felt like I was finally getting something out of some of the promise of X of Swords, you know. And and I don't I don't know that it was um, that it was enough to live up to that, or that it was necessarily a hundred percent effective. But like this issue felt like we were getting back on track for me uh, for the first time in a while. Like I, I know the last couple times we saw the Quiet Council, or maybe it's just the last time, and it's been a while. Um, we had commented on how. It didn't feel like there was as much heat as there normally was, you know, and like this to me felt like a conflict like worthy of the council again, you know, of like having this mm -hmm. discussion of, you know, where's the morality? Like, where's the spirit of the X-Men that we knew versus who we know they them to be now and what their concerns are? And like seeing that fucking like, you know, that theme finally come to a head was something that I was excited about. You know, and and I think that similarly, there are some other like effective moments here that really, I don't know, like made me feel like uh, this is what I wish the whole event had been. You know, I wish we had gotten more of this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's wild that, and and this never even occurred to me that I don't think we've seen the name X Men outside of the titles. And no. that never even occurred to me until it was brought up in the in the uh, the white pages. Yeah, I I'd been thinking a lot about the way that the X Men are basically non-existent now because mm -hmm. of the fact that every single book is not they don't feel like heroes anymore, and that's something that a lot of people have actually been mad about that that. You know, the mutants who we refer to affectionately as the X-Men don't feel like a superhero team. And I think that that needed to be the case to establish a different status quo and to really sell the idea that they're different. 
Yeah. Every time they would do a status quo shift, it was like, okay, cool, we're in Cali now. Okay, cool, we're in the Outback now. Okay, cool, <laughs> we're somewhere else. We're doing the same things. And now they're somewhere else and they're doing different things. And I think that was important. And it allowed this moment to feel significant. Yeah. Yeah. And it felt like particularly the fact that it's like um, Scott and Gene leading the charge. It feels poetic. It feels like the passing of a torch. And it's a thing we've seen before, um, but not not quite in this way. You know, and, and that that I think rung true for me as well. Yeah, I I really like the fact that it was those two who had to plead their case. Um and you really you really get a sense of how different Professor X, at least, is viewing things that he would sit on a council. And if you look at that image, it's it's all these people who he would traditionally fight against are all the people who don't want to go help the mutants. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can view that a lot of different ways. I think um, people that I've seen are choosing to view this as like a villainous act. Um, a villainous act on the part of the council. Yeah, yeah, and that's not how I see things. I think you can make the case that Sinister for sure because he has an ulterior motive, and Shaw obviously as well. But mm. I do believe that the rest of the council members who who are deciding that they should not go and uh, try to rescue the, the other mutants, they're doing it out of pragmatism. I think they yeah. recognize a larger picture that they need to uh, take into account, you know, and it's not the same anymore as, okay, you know, a few of our, of our members are in danger. We need to send the Legion, you know, if, if, if they send the, 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 the brunt of their group and they fail, it's over. Right. And they can't have that. Um, I'm, I'm blanking on uh, this character's name. Uh, Exodus. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Exodus has the line, um, I just had it in front of me and I was going up to find their name, uh, about uh, how they're, yeah. they're a nation, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he says, we have, a, we have our nation to think of, we have a duty. And I, I, I believe that, you know? And I think that's like what makes Cyclops' whole little speech, I think, so compelling, you know, is that like I I don't look at it as a villainous act. Like, sure, some of the people on the council are are dubious and have ulterior motives. That's politics, baby. Um, <laughs> well, and, and the fact that most of the people that voted in that situation were villains at one point. Sure, as well. yeah. yeah, yeah. But I but I think clearly the takeaway right is the thing that that Cyclops says, where he's saying like, you know, I I know that what we're risking like. He's saying, like, I understand you don't have the the luxury of thinking the way that I'm thinking anymore, right? And he says, but hearing you say it out loud, tasting it in my mouth, I find it unacceptable, so I do not accept it. And, like, he goes and defies the council to to reform the X-Men, essentially. And, like, what is the takeaway from the two characters who we, as readers, at least look at as the leaders of the council, as the leaders of the mutants, are Magneto and Professor X. Professor X is smiling, and Magneto says, good boy. Right, like mm-hmm. they, they're happy that he's doing this. Whether or not they can uh, vote in that way is a different matter because what they're talking about is bigger than 
You know, and, and it's fair to say, right? They are the leader of a nation, right? And and of a people. And it's it it is more than a few mutants. It's more than a few lives. It's more than a few friends or family members. You know, like we have to think about. And I think that this book, especially X Men, has done a good job of showing us, right? Like, think of all the kids that are on the island. Think of all the the mutant civilians who we don't necessarily know their names, but they're people. Like they're yeah. living there. Like this is their lives. They're talking about and. They can't gamble all of their lives over a few people that even if they love, you know, and and like we're talking about people that everyone at this table, you know, um, everybody at this table loves one of the people that are involved there for the most part. Right. Um, So it's like, yeah, it's it is bigger than that. And that's what's been so great about this run is that the issues that that the mutants are dealing with are bigger than the issues that the X-Men dealt with, you know. And I like that they've found a way to kind of have their cake and eat it too. Where I think we can still have Krakoa, we can still have the government of mutants and the state, you know, and, and all those kinds of heady, new, fun political themes that we've been dealing with. But now we'll also be able to have a proper team of X-Men led by, you know, like who else, who else but, right? Scott and Gene. Like that's, mm, yeah, I think that's really attractive. Yeah, I think this was this was a a fantastic scene overall, mm. and um, again, just the strength of Jonathan Hickman to see to to have all these characters that he has to balance and to understand how to present them all uh, in a way that brings out what's core to them, um, and to make what's to come feel important and special. And you know, I I really really wish that the rest of this event had had this um, this intensity to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, we got there. So yeah, that was a very effective scene. And um, on the other side of that, we're dealing with uh, Genesis and Apocalypse and their fight. And boy, was that was that uh, also feeling special, at least to me. We've been thinking about apocalypse right since this whole thing started you know we'll never forget that moment where he steps across the Krakoan gate and it's like wait whoa whoa, whoa. okay all of the mutants are together didn't think that meant apocalypse right you know and you see <laughs> professor x and apocalypse shake hands that's mind-blowing um and so to go from that moment to where he is the final champion in this battle for you know supremacy for survival for the mutants of Krakoa um and he has to fight his own wife to get there what a turn yeah and and again i think like <clears throat> i think this is really speaking to that problem that we've had where like this hasn't felt intense it hasn't felt like the stakes were really there mm. this does um yeah. and it it doesn't uh it doesn't justify the problems that we've had pre previously it doesn't you know account for those pacing issues or some of those other issues that have just felt like kind of throwaway mm. but but to me this this is this was good this is the meat you know this is what we've really been hoping it would amount to and i do think that you know for all the setup and everything it, it did get us somewhere that feels like pretty emotionally satisfying. 
Definitely. Um, and, you know, Genesis taking off the Annihilation mask uh, for this fight. I, I was hoping that that would be the case. I was hoping that she wouldn't fight with the mask on just because, you know, we understand that that mask is essentially controlling her. I want to see her, you know, her own self, her own will, yeah. um, willing to throw down with with Apocalypse. Um, and and they get busy, but this issue is not really the meat of that fight. We get that we get a lot more of that later on. Um, so I feel like we've covered the basics of this issue. Let's talk about the art before we move forward. You don't think you don't think this is the meat of the of their fight? Well, there's not really much to it. Like we I mean, don't. I we think don't... that that sums up the whole series. <laughs> this this whole event. There's not much to it. She beats him, or he beats her, and well, then that beats her. Yeah, but well, that's the thing, right? It's he like, didn't kill her, but I mean, he won. Yeah, but like to Sean's point, I feel like the real the real conflict hasn't come yet, you know, because like the conclusion is like the helm gets put back on, and like the fight continues. I guess, but that's not like that. That part isn't what we're here for. This is what we're here for was this duel like this was supposed to be the meat of it you know it, it was supposed to be and i think that's what we were advertised but i think per the conversation like last week i i don't think that like my my expectations were reset on that where like i i don't think that this fight would have been that um climax because yeah. none of the fights were a climax mm-hmm. and that, that was a little frustrating um Sean, the the art. I think I opened the the, the first page, and my first reaction was, "Oh yeah, this isn't Lino you." Um, <laughs> yeah. He draws a funny Cyclops. He does, bro. Look Ooh, at this panel I just pulled up. Yeah. Look at his butt. What the hell is that? <laughs> what, is that? what is his butt? Just, you would notice that. You could sharpen a diamond on that. Sharpen a diamond on that ass. Uh, like yeah, like like there there's some that's things. A, <laughs> that's a man that works out his butt too much <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pointy there are a few things that like here aren't i meant that in his in his costume he looks like a thumb <laughs> he does look like a thumb oh my god what were those um tech decks no i was thinking of uh look it's cyclops sp- spy the spy girl spy kids yeah spy yeah. kids the yeah, thumb yeah. people yep oh floops fluglies yeah I was thinking of those little skateboard guys that all have the different outfits. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, this was, the art was, I think, it was serviceable. It's definitely a departure from what we're used to with you, and it's um, it's still a little jarring for me because that was a book that, like, I, that I think we all love from an art mm-hmm. perspective. Um, there are a few things here that he does that I'm not, particularly in love with for example this this panel exchange um where it's like a fight but then as you come down uh, over here all of a sudden they're in a spotlight and like there's just like no continuity for it it's just like supposed to be a dramatic moment which is fine but i i, I it's not i think from a executional standpoint like not super impressive it just feels like it breaks up this continuity mm. um it, it was serviceable at 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 best, I think. I don't think there was anything that wowed me here. If anything, I, I found a little bit more pieces that I was like, hmm, 
forms off a little bit and it's it, it it still gets the message across but um from what we've seen in the past for this book it, it doesn't have the same sort of energy and we just have to get used to that like as as that goes on yeah yeah i think it's disappointing because i i do think the art always feels standout in x-men yeah. and it it doesn't for me here it didn't bother me necessarily but it was definitely uh, a departure and and not in a good way this is 15 is that right yeah we have two more issues no one more issue until brett booth comes up and man you guys are gonna hate that (laughs) (laughs) so they they retained sunny go on on colors uh who is a frequent collaborator of Lin Yu. I think that his presence here helps to retain some level of consistency mm-hmm, like the between tone. artists. Uh, but it's not quite enough. And I also like I've read a lot of Mahmoud Azrar's work or yeah, I've I've seen a lot of his work. Mm. And uh, I wouldn't say that this is his usual style. Mm. Um, I feel like there was a, a stylistic shift to accommodate what the book had looked like before. Mm. And I feel like he's often been put in that position. Um, And I don't think it's fair to him because this isn't what he normally does. And a lot of the characters do look a little bloated, like Cyclops looks bloated. Um, Jean just doesn't look right. Like her her mask does not look like it belongs on her face. Yeah. Um, Belongs in the ground. Damn. There were some there were definitely some some elements like that that were a little frustrating. But you know, I, I feel like for the most part he got the point across and um it just it's just a little frustrating that we couldn't finish out with you, and I wonder why that was the case. But we'll probably never know. Because I'm um, not writing. Sorry? Because I'm not writing. So oh, duh. <laughs> um but yeah, I I, the the last page of this book, though, um, seeing uh, Genesis and all her annihilation glory, that was that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, there's some strong um, stuff for sure, and it, and, it, and it set the table for Excalibur 15 uh, by Tini Howard, uh, Mahmoud Azrar uh, again on art um, with Stef- Stefano Caselli as well. Um, and then Sonny Go and uh, Rachel Rosenberg on colors. Um, so this was, I guess, a split issue um, where I would imagine Azrar was the person behind these the scenes featuring Apocalypse and Genesis, if yeah. I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where the real like epic war element of the book comes into play. All of the battles are over, essentially, except for this last one. Um, and every, it's just all out war. And this was cool. This was what I was excited to, to finally get to. Um, and everything is at play. This is all the marbles. And I, I thought that this issue was particularly standout good. I, outside of like the, the larger battle, I was kind of frustrated by what it meant for the narrative because it felt like, none of those battles prior really mattered. Like had we yeah. removed 12 issues, right? We could have gone from X-Men 13 
where they have this conversation about how they're going to do stuff, whatever Saturdine's in there. And then they could have had this battle and I wouldn't have missed anything from a narrative perspective. Like sure. There are the details, the, the personal details inside, but I don't think that from an overall storytelling perspective, I would have missed out necessarily. And I was, I was a little frustrated by that considering that all of a sudden everybody comes out and there's just a, it's just a kick-ass issue. That is a, a very good point. Let's uh let's table that point until the larger conversation about the event itself. Yeah. Um, but that's a that's a good point. And I think we probably all feel that way. Um Yeah, that definitely hampered my enjoyment of this issue though, for sure. Yeah, same. I think that's fair to say. You know, it it's funny because like and and like Sean said, I, I won't drum on the point now, but I I felt myself acknowledge that while I was reading this this issue, and I don't know it. It's definitely something I would bring up in my overall conversation around this this arc, you know, and this event. But issue to issue, like I said, I think these last three, it was kind of like uh, it reminded me of that that fucking um, Gordon Ramsay meme where it's like finally some good fucking food. You know what I mean? Where it's like mm. to the point of like, ah, yeah, but it it didn't hamper my enjoyment of this issue specifically because I was just like, we did the fucking groundwork. Like I did all the fucking boring homework so that I could enjoy this and it feels informed by something because it was. There was a lot of stuff that I read and saw that got me here and like I it doesn't make any of that retroactively better. The stuff that didn't work still doesn't work. But, you know, I think uh, to the point Sean made about the last issue in terms of, like, understanding the stakes between Apocalypse and Genesis, like, I do get that because they fucking spoon-fed it to me over fucking six issues. So I'm here. I'm in. This is my reward for that, you know? And I'm glad that at least there's some payoff. Like, emotionally, but also now here in this issue, like, just fun wise you know like Mm. actually being like let's and not like dumb jokey bit fun like the last six issues have been but like all right cool like the cavalry's here the x-men are reformed and they're gonna come show up and we're gonna do some some superhero stuff you know at least there's something at least there's something fun to grab onto in this issue you know and i guess to that and to, to your initial question, Sean, uh, for me, like this isn't uh, th- this is sort of the the weaker end for superhero comics for me. Like I don't care for the the, the big battles for like all the characters coming out of the woodwork and and that stuff. So I'm I'm definitely glad that that uh, you were high on that. But I guess just for for me on like a uh, sure. the reading perspective, this isn't like the 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 high point for me. This is what you've been showing up for. Yeah, this is not what. Yeah, exactly. That's what I liked about the last issue. Mm. I, I I wouldn't say like. For me, this is the. This is the climax, and it is what it is. I think everything that comes before. Mm-hmm. That, is what's most important to give this weight. Um, for me, it had weight because you know we do care about apocalypse. We obviously care about like you know. Let's dive into it. So. Um, really now we're, we're in this, this battle phase and, um, they're talking about the cost 
and what it could mean for them to go into all out all out war instead of like retreating or whatever. And you know, Wolverine, who typically we see as this bloodthirsty berserker, realizes that you know a loss here could be too great to recover from, especially because if they die here, they're dead, dead. You know, um, or at least they will come back altered. They won't be themselves, and that can be bad, uh, as it appears to have been with Rockslide in the sense that he's just not himself. Um, and there's this quick conversation between Captain Avalon and Apocalypse where Captain Avalon says something that I've been waiting for him to say this entire series, which is, you know, the fact that Betsy's dead, the fact that, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. they they played by these dumb rules and look at where that got them, you know, and and I just never felt his frustration with that ever. And then Apocalypse is like, you know, he basically shuts him down. Like, no, I have thought about this. This is all I have thought about. And the weight of this isn't lost on me at all. Um, And so it's those moments in the bigger conflict that I get off on personally. Mm. You know, it's it's the concern for Doug when when Bay takes him away. And like that was so dumb, right? Like the fact that they have this relationship. Um, but somehow over the course of this issue and the next one, I actually started to care about that. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so I love the way that, that Teeny Howard and Jonathan Hickman were able to, uh, take this big battle and put those moments in it that make it feel like worth, worth the time and, and the page space. Um, and and again, you know, there were so many moments like that, like even Bay just blasting Apocalypse away, um, you know, finally using her death note, which they they alluded to uh, earlier in the series. Uh, I just love that stuff. Um, but Saturnine, sorry, go ahead, Marco. I was just say, what is Bay's like? What's her angle, man? Like, what is? I don't. Uh, I, I was very confused. Defending goes, her husband, bro. But like. She goes from one side, then back to the other side. It's like it's called, it's called matrimony. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you better learn. You're right. You're right. I I'm think sorry. I think she was like over the whole thing and she just wanted to take Doug and get the hell out of there. Yeah. That was my interpretation was that mm-hmm. she not that she was like taking him to go back to her side, that she was like, I'm done. Like I'm out, you know? Um, well, I, yeah, but I also think that she also probably was taking him to the side she thought was going to win, like to a place fair, that would fair. probably be safe for him. Yeah, right. E- you know, even like like not to disagree with what you're saying, but also to sort of add to it. Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was that was my thing. Is like, I, and again, I I think um, I'm at where Sean's at, where like the setup being good or bad at this point is immaterial, right? It's like, we're here with what we're here with. And like, let's talk about those, those moments. And I, I remember when we had the conversation about their whole wedding and it's like, this makes no fucking sense. Like what's up with this. It just, it's just happening, you know? And and it's like here, it feels like, well, at least it's, at least it's paying off for something. Yeah. At least it's going somewhere. Right. At right. least it's not just like a, a random event in a random series of events you know um it feels like it has narrative purpose now so you know i'm kind of taking that for what it is 
It's like any port in a storm, right? You know, <laughs> it's like okay, like this is giving me something to grab onto now. Um, she, has yeah. to, she has to complete the second law. <laughs> exactly, oh, I got to yeah. make more mutants, dude. Um, so I don't Where know, like that that whole thing is like it is still weird, <laughs> but it's like I don't know if it was stay, a, if it was it. a movie, you wouldn't question it. Right. Yeah, when, yeah. So when you see someone fall in love in two hours and it's like, yeah, they just met or whatever. But fate, I guess. OK, fine. This is what we're doing. I also can appreciate the fact that. If you think if you try to, to analyze their relationship and how it works, Doug is a language guy. Right. Yes. And Bay's the only person he's ever met that he can't understand. Right. Right. Um, and so for them, everything is, is about the physicality and the, the unsaid. And that's where their relationship is kind of existing. And I kind of like that in, in a weird way. It's weirdly romantic. Like I'm with yeah. you. Like I, I'm, I'm, I was repulsed by it at first, but now that I've had some time to sit with it and like they're doing things with it, I'm like, yeah, it's fucking ride this ride. Like, let's see what happens, you know? Yeah. People meet. Things happen, guys. It's electric. <laughs> it's, it's war. Electric. It's war, bitch. Who knows? Like, you might die. <laughs> She's also absolutely massive compared to him, and that I'm also down with. <laughs> we all know Sean loves the giant ladies. Just the towering, towering, powerful women. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. It's 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 awesome. Um, and and yeah. So on the on the other side of that, we have Saturnine who is drinking wine and trying to put a puzzle together, which does not <laughs> seem like the thing to do at this particular moment. But That's it, fine. It's it's, exactly what a soccer mom would be doing. It's so funny that you said <laughs> that because, like, uh, as you were saying that, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the page, right, where she finally gets the puzzle together, and she's just like... <gasps> And like has the hand over her mouth, like it's just like the like her her fucking castle is under siege, and she's doing a puzzle with a glass of wine, and it's like the most dramatic fucking thing that happens in the whole issue. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so it's so funny. But you know what? And this is again like the the strength of this issue and the other ones weighed against and when i say the other ones i mean the other two from this week yeah mm -hmm. uh weighed against the rest of the series we're like yeah that's hilarious but it also matters you know like it, it also is substantive substantive and yeah. it's also on brand like yeah. even when you put in the other issues we've read like yeah that of course and i i so love the fact that she just punches <laughs> <laughs> Yep. He's like, God damn it, Betsy. How am I supposed to be in love with Betsy? Oh my goodness. And and she has essentially resurrected the Captain Britain corpse. And then on the um on the infographic page, we learned that what she was doing was actually a love spell. She was trying to uh make uh Brian fall in love with her and resurrect the, the corpse. But right. I guess she I don't know why she didn't realize this, but like, you know, Betsy is Captain Britain, and that's what that's just what it is now. Yeah. And so it, you know, it, I guess it just didn't work. Well, at, uh, at the beginning, yeah, at, at the beginning, it also says the spellcasting is the art of directing magic with one's willpower. And then towards the end, it's like mistake your desire for true desperation, and a spell would teach you a lesson. And so, like, like the irony of it was that huh. she she 
she actually screwed herself over in that. Yep. Right. And we know, we now know that that's why she shattered Betsy because that was a part of the spell. She had to do that. So, um, I, I really appreciated that little ad there. All the pieces I didn't get that at all. Together. Wow. Yeah, I didn't pick yeah. up on that totally the first time. Um, I got the spell thing because of the infographic, but I didn't connect the dots to the shattering. It I didn't even. I didn't was, even get it for the 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 shattering. I, was, I read it. I was like, okay, that's a weird thing to add, but it's fine, <laughs> I guess. It was in the issue, Kale. You got to go read back. No, I don't do that. No, I don't think I will. No. <laughs> Yo, shout out to uh, Goose Captain Britain. Yo, I I thought that was so fucking funny. Again, that's that's the that's where it's her with the the, and it's just this fucking goose cut away. Like yeah. what the fuck? It's it looks so fucking dramatic too. Like I I love it because like it's it's when I catch myself like reading a page like this where I'm just like, my god, comic books are just an insane insane man's fever dream. You know, that's, unreal. <laughs> like yeah, like how would you put that? in a novel like you what would wouldn't. be the you could. yeah what would be the the <laughs> the prose thought process there you know like that's just why comics work it's just, it's the juxtaposition of images that just it just fucking works yeah and it just and i don't know it's it and it's like reading stuff like this like the real like high level ridiculous event shit where i'm just like you either get it or you don't man you know you're either in or you're out <laughs> I also so love that the last line of dialogue in this issue is just her yelling no in all caps with three no! exclamation points. <laughs> and and then like and and what is that over, right? It's an image of all these Captain Brits and it's like one's a gorilla man, one's a bird, one's a frog, like <laughs> Yo, shout out to Frog Captain Britain too. Shout out to Gorilla Captain Britain. That's <laughs> the man right That's Sean's that tracks. superhero. <laughs> yep. That's awesome. A and British gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Hopefully that talks. Yeah, right? He must, <laughs> right? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, he's, he has to talk. Otherwise, why bring it up? We're going to see uh, Leah. What's her name? Leah Williams. Is it Leah Williams? Yeah. Uh, we're going to see her write that book, of course. Oh, she's on X Factor. Yeah, but she'll also be on the Captain. Cap- Let me get a Cor- Captain Britain corpse book now, where we just explore the lives of these random ass <laughs> Captain Britain. If if fucking if they can get Warren Ellis to write a Batman T Rex book, <laughs> granted that didn't come out for other reasons, but B Rex. If they can if they can tag him to do that, Leah Williams can write the Gorilla Captain Britain book. Is uh, is Leah Williams uh, British? No. Oh, okay. I'm sure she's seen, I don't know, Downton Abbey or something. Like, I just wasn't fine. sure uh, why you specifically uh, called her out for that. Because she's got the talent. I want uh, two things I want to call out about this this frog real quick here. The <laughs> I, I really appreciate. Spend more time on this than the fucking book. I really appreciate how the, the frog's belly and webs are also are all purple. They're yes. all that same, but like that you look at the bird, Captain Britain, no, no color, and I'm a little suspicious of that. Yeah, I love that the frog's like, like his tongue's out, like he's just like happy to be there. He's ready to party. Yeah. <laughs> I want him and the gorilla to be like partners. <laughs> you know, that'd be wild. He like chucks him like the cannonball special. Yeah. Oh my god. 
Perfect. Well, it'd be it'd be more like uh, it'd be more like Ant Man and uh, Hawkeye. Uh, Hawkeye. Yeah. Perfect. I I can't. It writes it, itself. It really writes itself. <laughs> <laughs> so correct me if I'm wrong, but did we not see the Captain Britain uh, Britain Corps earlier in the series? Like, weren't there others? Or were there yeah. all clones? Like, what so was- that was mm. that was a holdover concept from. Uh, the prior issues of Excalibur, oh. where Rogue, uh, Jubilee, Gambit, I believe those were all the ones. Yes, um, yes. They actually had died, but they died and they but they died in like a in, in like another reality and it created clones of them who were part of the, the core. It was a ridiculous thing that they seem to have abandoned at this point. Okay. Okay. Um so from an art perspective. Uh, we did have two artists on this one. Uh, was this better for you guys? Did it work? Did it work better? I thought yeah. so. I yeah. thought so too. I uh, didn't notice. Uh, honestly, it, it was in like smaller moments. Like if uh, what page is this? Uh, Eighteen to like nineteen, for example. Uh, if you look at Jubilee um, and her glasses and like the the form, it looks a little bit different. Um, but otherwise it was pretty, uh, continuous throughout and I, yeah, all the, all the beats were there. It was good. I think the Jubilee pages are all as are are. Are they? I feel like Caselli did the Saturnine pages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Saturnine pages definitely look different. I think, I think you're right. Well, you can, you can even tell, um, like for example, the page where Apocalypse is standing over Doug and Bay, um, that is what Caselli's art traditionally looks like. Like look at Doug, uh, look at his face, and then also look at the coloring that's clearly colored by uh, Rosenberg. Mm. Because then, if you go a few pages later and you look at Doug, he looks completely different. Um, his his jacket is not as like golden and reflective and then also his face is not um like can you guys tell what i'm talking yeah, about yeah i yeah, can't yeah. see what you're talking about not quite but. so if you go to page 15 and you compare that with page uh 20 there's a pretty stark difference mm-hmm. yeah i definitely see what you're talking about <laughs> um Overall, though, I, I did enjoy the art in this issue more. Yeah. Um, there were some standout moments, page 23, where you see, uh, I think it's Betsy or it's either Betsy or Beth. Um, but she's like, you know, with her hand over her, her, her forehead mm-hmm. um, to help her from the light. Like, that's just really pretty. That's like a really good looking panel there. Um and I just thought there were a lot of cool moments. We've already called out a lot of them. The, the core, um, Saturnine with her her hand over her face. Just those moments were really, really um, stand out in my eyes. Um, and these artists had a lot to render in this issue. So many characters and different things um, that for it to not lose quality yeah, uh, throughout, which is something we've talked about a lot in the past, that's a feat. Yeah, like it never it never feels sloppy. Like nothing feels formless. You know, like it Yeah. I don't know. This this one really worked and and I think it helps I think when there's a lot to to work with. 
you know, like there there is a lot here that's interesting and worth showing and like focusing in on. And I feel like sometimes it is those like nine panel grid talky issues where some of that kind of I don't know, some of that rushy like sloppiness like always feels like more apparent. Because, like, you're just looking at people talking. Like, you're just looking at faces. Like, you look at here, like, there's these great battle scenes. There's, you know, like, all this cool architecture. There's these cra- these crazy monsters to draw. Like, there's there's a lot going on here Yeah. Um, to, to work with and to make eye-catching and, and to feel, like, a little bit more grandiose, mm-hmm. uh, which I think they really took, took good advantage of. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, and so that leaves us with only one book to go. Uh, Ten of Swords Destruction is the last part of this event. Uh, and this one comes from Hickman and Howard together with the classic now team up of Pepe Larraz and Marta Gracia on art and colors, uh, respectively. You love to see it. Yes, you do. And, you know, this is this is what I'm here for. Just look at these colors. Like, look at the page. It's page nine where um, Annihilation is throwing something, and it's like all golden. Like, oh my god! Just look at that page. Look at look at what War is doing. Uh, where she's like creating that portal to summon everybody, yeah, and how amazing that looks. I, uh, and then you got go ahead. I I love it's even earlier. Um, it's like a third page or something. The the first shot of the corpse being reborn and like coming yeah. through that like giant Oof. golden portal and like the yeah. the way that like the color cascades so that yeah. like in the back you've got like this fucking huge dragon and you know everybody's bathed with this like almost green with how bright it is like gold light. And then, you know, we see our boy, the gorilla, you know, the swan, all these motherfuckers in the back. And then, like, you see the color kind of come back into them as they're coming into the foreground. Like, mm. that's a that's a hell of a, you know, like, not it's not a splash page, but it's got that vibe to it, you know, where it's yeah. just like, it's a pot. Yeah, yeah, it would be a splash. There, Well, there's a splash with a pop in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like not quite, but it's got that vibe for sure. Um, yeah. Oh, the panel right after that with uh, Captain Avalon looking up is actually really fucking good yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can see like the wonder in his, you know, like him having that click moment, you know, of like oh, like the cavalry's here, but also that like the corpse are reformed, you know, which obviously means so much to him. And just look at that crazy blue on that same page where Storm is like, I guess it's she's shocking or using her lightning on yeah, those people. Yeah, looks like it. Wow. wow. I, like, I'm just blown away by the colors in this issue. And I love the way that uh, Wolverine looks in the, the foreground in that one. It really reminds me of um, of the Uncanny X-Force run. Oh, the, yeah. You know, where he always had, like, the red eyes and the gray suit. Like, it mm. kind of has that look to it with the, the way that he's being bathed in the blue. Sure. Yeah, and then we get Cthulhu monsters. Hell yeah. That Love was it. nuts. That was nuts. My man was riding it. 
that was really cool. Yeah, yeah. I, there, there's just like it's like every other fucking page, you know. Like you could call out like, oh, well, how cool that moment is. Mm-hmm. Like just a few later, like when you have uh, magic, like open the portal mm-hmm. to like let the X Men through, and she like jams the sword in, and then it cuts open. This gaping thing, you know, in the sky, the last sword yeah. comes through. And then we have another one of those similar kind of like splash pages of just the the return of the X-Men, ostensibly, you know? It's like, oof. That was sick. It's good stuff. That was sick. Like, this is what you want out of an event, you know? Yeah. It's shit like um, this. Look at all the X-Men that they put at risk. Like, all, the, right. mutants, all the mutants <laughs> that they like, that like said, yeah, I'll go almost die. My fucking poor dupe, man. Why is dupe there? Yeah, what's Gwenpool doing there? Yeah, is this what heroes are for, bro? Wait, Where Gwenpool's is- there? Yeah, she's right in the middle. Yep. Oh, she sure is. She's not supposed to be there. Wasn't she not allowed on Krakoa? Uh, I don't know. Am I crazy? Guess they changed her mind. <clears throat> I thought she wasn't uh, allowed on Krakoa. Sucks that iBoy's not there. I will say, uh, Gwenpool, probably one of the best people for this mission, because she can't die. Right? I mean, I mean, she can literally, but we're talking who's, about people we're putting at risk. She's not at risk. Who's this little bean? Dupe. That's Dupe. That's Dupe. Yeah. So oh, we is that about. what you guys are talking about? Yeah. 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 Yo, it's because Dupe's a real hero, bro. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but. Da- fucking Dakin? Yeah, I was just going to call him out, actually. Um, yeah, th- this is quite the cavalry that they called in. Yeah. Like Domino, <clears throat> like all kinds of people. Again, yeah. Domino probably a good one. She's lucky she won't die. <laughs> didn't, they make, didn't they make the joke? She's like, lucky she won't die. They made the joke between uh, like who would win, like Domino or Iska or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we may find that out down the road, but um, <clears throat> let's talk about what is actually happening. Um, so we're at the point now where everyone is calling in, you know, as we said, the, the cavalry. Um, and it's just the first little bit is just a series of awesome pages and panels just kind of showcasing that aspect of it. That's something I was a little bit like, you know, I don't want to take away from the awesomeness of the, the moments, but I do kind of dislike it when you get two Avengers assembly with it where there's yeah. so many – uh, like there were three cavalry moments in this issue, mm-hmm. and you know that's that's quite a lot. Um, we learn that Cable's sword is not actually a sword, although we know that none of them were. Well, they're all swords, but they weren't. But they're all keys, also. It's like it's keys. very Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so his is like more of a key than others because he's actually able to use it to go back to something that we saw way back in the first issue of Cable's um, tie-in to this event uh, where they saw those like weird aliens. They bring them into the fold, uh, which I was not expecting at all for them to call back to that. Lots of swerves. Yeah, lots of swerves. Um, And so, yeah, it was a really, it was a really cool fight but again not a lot of substance um we see uh annihilation fully basically fully take over um genesis body and they summon all these crazy creatures just 
imagine having that page, page uh, 17. Like, wouldn't that be such a cool page to own? Yeah. Boy, oh boy, is Absolutely. that a, a monster. Um, it's like every it's like every three or four pages, there's a page like that in this issue. Yeah, <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. Um. But uh, but you know we have to talk about the real hero of Krakoa. Of course, that being Apocalypse. Dupe. Oh, I was oh. going to say we already <laughs> talked about Dupe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's able to defeat Annihilation. He takes off the 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 helm. That's my favorite page Lament. in the issue. That was yeah, that was amazing. The lettering there is like phew, that's so cool. Yeah. Uh they did such a great job of rendering that and making that seem like such an important moment where it that's when the battle I feel like really shifts and Apocalypse does something that was certainly shocking. He puts the helmet on. That um, that I was like, oh no. Yeah. I really didn't know what was gonna happen from there. I was like, oh my god. Cause at first I wasn't sure if he did it on purpose. Yeah, yeah. I, th- that was also my thinking. It was like, uh oh, was he like succumb or seduced by it somehow? Is the mask itself like some sort of power or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and this issue is or I should say this series is full of you think this is going to happen, but then this happens. And earlier on, that was a bad thing. But in this, in the, these final three issues, it's actually a good thing. You know, here with Apocalypse, it's like he takes off the helmet, which I didn't expect because I didn't think you could do that. But he, he's, he's able to do it. And then you think, okay, well, he's going to destroy it, but he puts it on. And then you think, okay, well, now it's everybody against Apocalypse, but he resists it. Like, I just love that, you know? Yeah. Um, and Especially to see him, like, surrender mm-hmm. and him being yeah. like, yeah, like, that's not, like, there. there's more than one way to win or lose, you know? It's just, like, such a, like, you don't expect that from Apocalypse. And, like, maybe we should at this point, mm-hmm. but... It's another example of them leveraging what you expect and what you think you know about Apocalypse versus who he is today. Right. That's just like, hey, man, like you've been laying these threads like it's 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 just good storytelling. Well, and also I love the the dichotomy of the uh, Apocalypse versus uh, annihil- the Annihilation Helms will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like in the way they fight on the page. Yeah, and he he has the superior will. He has a will that even uh even his wife did not have, you know? Um and it goes to show you that all of the struggle and strife of Apocalypse's life was equal or superior to the struggle and strife of what Genesis went through. Because she although she was on this war torn um realm she gave into the helm a long time ago as far as we are aware right so all this big talk about who's fit and who's not well she succumbed you know and he did not and i i really appreciate that um but then the moment where i was i was so happy was when uh they realize that iska has has turned on them yeah and she's unbeaten and we see what that means um, like, she ain't losing she because sides. she's switching sides. Yeah, right. yeah. Oh wait, 
did that have something to do with her color? Because I was confused by that. Uh, no, I think I think that was just the lighting choice there. At least oh, that's no, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. she was all red before. Yeah. Oh. Oh. She, she like yeah. she like yeah. No, you're gold. right. She turns yellow. Yeah. yeah I thought true. that that's what they meant. Yeah, I think. Well, I I think it is. Yeah. It's, uh, well, they said. Well, like, no, 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 you're okay, you're right. Sorry. I think I think, but they're they're saying that because she turned gold. Yeah. I, I think it's but just a physical manifestation of what we're talking about, where it's like I she, see. yeah, she's flipping sides because the tide is turned. Got it. Okay. Well, who's in who's in her hand? Pyro. I had thought that that was Banshee, but I I I couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. I thought because of the the backpack, it was Pyro. Yeah, it might be. It's definitely one of our yeah, one of our boys. Pyro. Yeah. Um, I wasn't well, sure be, what that was about. That would be bad, right? Because it it looks like she's killed him. No, I, I, to me, I took that as her picking, like she's picking him up and turning over to our side and like, like pulling him out of the the fucking ditch. Oh, okay. I wonder. I wonder because in the panel above, she's got him in it in her hand. And she's like, oh, what? What's this? I wonder if she just killed him yeah. or hurt him. And then she turned. I think, I, I don't think, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, that could right. be it, okay. sure. So she's an X guy now. Seems that way. Hell yeah. Um. So then Saturnine just obliterates all the like randoms that are in this fight. Uh, Dispose of all Shogo. the players we no longer need. It's just like, damn, okay. <laughs> Which was just completely sick. Like, she lands on a dragon who just annihilated everybody in green fire. Yeah. And she kind of, like, lays it down. She takes the helm and turns it into, um, like, a javelin type of thing. Or, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it's over. I think th- I think this did a good job of speaking to that problem that Phil had kept establishing of like I feel like they're doing too much to like make her weak. Like mm. I think this was another example of her just coming in and, in and like sweeping up the pieces, you know, and just being like, "Okay, I'm still the boss, right? Like right. I've been mm. sitting around with my puzzle and my wine glass because this is truly beneath me, you know?" Yeah. And then, you know, we knew that there had to be some kind of a seismic shift in terms of where this would leave our mutants. And we kind of get that almost literally in the sense that she demands that uh, they that there's a swap, that one individual mutant from each side go to the other side as a show of good faith. And Apocalypse is chosen by Genesis to rejoin her uh, on Arako, and uh, he accepts that. Um, and then Apocalypse, speaking for Krakoa, um, chooses for Arako to go be with mm-hmm. Krakoa. And so now it appears that the two mutant islands will be reunited. The only thing I didn't understand about that was I thought that was where Apocalypse was going, was Arako. No, so if they he says, Lady Genesis, what mutant do you choose from Krakoa to go join you on a month? But I oh, was also confused about that I because see. Okay. is not 
are is there not a portal to Amenth on Araco? And doesn't that mean that they're still like the same place or connected? Or rather, was Araco not pulled into Amenth? Araco was pulled into Amenth, but I guess now it will be pulled out of Amenth is so, the oh, thing. Okay. So they're going like, to go back to Chill out Amenth then. What? Wait, what like, why saying? stay on Amenth? Like, it, why not just live on Araco at that point? I imagine that will come up at a later date. Well, and also that's where his family is. So, no, but why don't they all just leave? Is Marco's? Well, they yeah. don't want to. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm actually with Marco in that. I felt that was a little arbitrary. Like, yeah, I'm not sure why that would be what would happen, other than it just is what happened. Yeah, it seems weird. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I was happy that Araco and Krakoa are going to be reunited and we'll see. I mean, there, there will be millions of mutants now who are joining with, uh, well, I would imagine with the collective. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be probably the next big arc, right? Is going to be the adjustment there of like, okay, so what does that mean? Yeah, mm. exactly. And like, are they going to be united? Right. Are they going to be one people, or is there going to be like a civil war kind of scenario? Like, what are we, what are we oh. looking at here? X Men Civil War. <laughs> We've all been Please, yes. For. Um, and so we lose Apocalypse for a beat. I'm sure he'll be back, but it appears he says as, as though, much. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it appears as though, at least for the time being, we won't have him, which kind of is a bummer. Yeah. Because he really, this really has been his story in a lot of ways. Um, and so he is gone. We do get a little bit of a, like a battle damage report with the, uh, infographics where we learn ultimately where all of the swords are now. Uh, none of them are terribly interesting. There were a couple of ones that are worth, I guess, pointing out, um, that, uh, for example, um, Sevalith, which is the sword of Redroot. Yeah, uh, is still uh, in capture because Redroot was captured by uh, Jim Jaspers right uh, at an earlier issue. Um, so oh, yeah, I wonder about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not sure how that's going to resolve. Uh, the other one is the Twilight Blade was left on the battlefield, so we don't know who snapped that up. Oh, hmm. interesting. Yeah. Uh, another one I thought was interesting was the Muramasa. Um, yeah. Both both of them have the thing where they say a thirsty blade that will uh, not long be apart from its twin. So it seems like Solem and Wolverine are probably due for another team up at some point. And, and at the beginning of the issue, Solem is missing. If you see like the graphic. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so I imagine that those two will cross paths again sometime yes. soon, which is great. I thought I thought they had great chemistry. I like yeah. that dynamic a lot. That's hype. Um, uh, go ahead. Uh, Pogger Pog was another one that seemed to hint at a return. It said adventures are imminent and these deals won't last long. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm wondering if we'll see we'll see them return soon. Yeah, I gotta imagine. I gotta imagine we will, and it'll be interesting to see what books these characters actually land in. Sure. Um, but the most interesting, by far, um, is not where the grass cutter and god killer swords are, but what happened to Gorgon. 
Uh, it says the twin blades of yes. the mutant captain Gorgon were carried home to Krakoa where they wait for their master to claim them. After a corrupted resurrection, will he reclaim them or reject them? So we know Gorgon's dead. We know that um, the white sword did not claim him as a part of his army like he said he would. And so Gorgon is going to be or has been resurrected and it's corrupted. So that allows them the opportunity now to do lots of things with that character. If he comes back corrupted, we don't know what that looks like. Yeah, could be a totally different totally different character. Could have different powers. Yeah. We don't know. Uh, and then we basically get a series of pages of wrap-up. Um, you know, a very, you know, long uh, Saturnine soliloquy uh, where she basically says that she knew... But she didn't know exactly how all of this would resolve um, and how the cards uh, basically gave her the ability to divine certain things. What I think a lot of people probably missed, um, or at least what I got out of it, is that the reason why her powers seem to be so overblown uh, throughout is because of the cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cards added power to her. They gave her um, a level of power that she doesn't normally have. So um, I wonder where she'll land after all of this resolves. Um, and I thought that last page was was fantastic. Seeing her kind of bathed in purple with the purple, like, you know, confetti or whatever falling down on her as the the Braddock brothers uh, give her an applause, and you see that all she really wanted out of this was Brian. That That's- <laughs> well, that B, that B D. No, there you go. Well, that B and- <laughs> B's D. Oh, so o- overall. This was all a play for her to get more land, like more to take over more realms, right? Like if if that was the the goal, well, I guess she came out the, the biggest victor here. I don't know. It seemed like the bigger goal was for her to get Brian. Right. Um, and so I think, I wonder if her play was... <laughs> to reignite the Captain Britain Corps and make him the sole, like, her sole protector. Uh, that way she could have him. But because Betsy has the sword, and I'm, I'm only going off what's uh, what I know from this. Just, I haven't read Excalibur yeah. yet. Uh, but Betsy has the sword or whatever and is the, the, the legal owner or whatever of the Captain Britain moniker it it didn't work so uh, Captain Britain as we know is a, a, a character an identity that exists across the multiverse and there are a lot of them and I believe that a lot of them are based on Brian's p- person Obviously, now that has changed because he is no longer the 616 
Captain, Captain Britain. Britain. She would have had an entire corpse of Bryant. Brian Braddock's. Yeah. That would be at her disposal. And if this Brian didn't want her, then maybe she could have had another one. Sure. Um, and I think ultimately that's what she was angling for. I think all of the other stuff, like the realm stuff and all that, was just a bonus that she got those things as well. And the reason I feel that way is because, you know, you look at that last page, um, she's being congratulated and, and, and regaled with all this glory by her attendant. But on that very last page, she's clearly unhappy. Yeah. She's alone. Yeah. She didn't get what she wanted mm-hmm. in this event, which was which Brian's was love. Three Brian Braddocks. She wants three BDs. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely <clears throat> took that away from it, that she was the ultimate loser. Yeah. Um, oh, Jesus, Pete. <laughs> not the tallest loser. She's the, she, well, no, she is the tallest loser. Now, she's tall again. Is she? Is she? I, yeah, man, I don't, I don't know where you guys are getting as tall business. No, no, I'm just saying, now, that, tall now that the event's over, it's, she can go back to her regular height. Kale, I implore you to go read Excalibur and uh, see. Did I, tell, did I tell you I bought it? Oh, nice. I did. I got it and New Mutants nice. in the uh, Dawn of X sale uh, on Comicsology. You, you will enjoy them both for sure. I'll be the judge of that. All right. Uh, so that closes out Ten of Swords as an event. Uh, I was a little displeased that we didn't see any type of... Um, Krakoan mutant stuff at the end of this. It was it was focused. The end of it was focused on Saturnine, yeah. um, but I understand they want to leave that for the issues proper and you know kind of have a clean cut to this event. That's fine. Do you think? Do you think that's sort of a sign that like this is who the event was about? Sort of the broader narrative Saturnines. Like, is this a Saturnine story more than you know? A Krakoan story, I guess. Uh, I think it's a little more layered than that. I think that um, you could you could make the argument that this is a lot of people's story. Um, I think it's a Saturnine story. I think it's an Apocalypse story. Mm. I think it's an Araco Krakoa story. Um, ultimately, it feels like a, a like a love story in a lot of ways. Um, because it's about the love between Apocalypse and Genesis um, and him having to, well, it appears he has to sacrifice that love for the greater good of mutant kind. Mm. Um, it's about the love between Arako and Krakoa and how long they've been apart and, you know, them basically playing the populations that they hold against each other to try to reunite. Um, and of course, it's about the love, the unrequited love that Saturnine has for Brian and her essentially, um, you know, taking her scorned feelings and pushing that onto the mutants of Krakoa in this great game that she set up for the affections of Brian. Uh, if there were no tournament, uh, what scenario could she have utilized to? shatter betsy in the way that she did to try to make the love spell right like yeah it, it feels like that was her real play throughout this event definitely 
Yeah, it, it reminded me, um, you know, of of I think any any number of of great events or of of you know Hickman's um, events where it doesn't. It, to me, it doesn't feel like any one character story. You know, it's the culmination of of events. You know that that are multi layered and multifaceted. Because like, you know, yeah, like did Saturni orchestrate this whole thing for her own ends? Yeah, in a lot of ways. But like, Apocalypse was very much playing his own angle in his own game. You know, like I, I don't think. I don't think it's really any one character was holding all the cards, you know, or, or, you know, had the deck totally stacked. So, like, I don't know. I think it's about all those things coming together to, like, play into what is this this event that has a reach beyond any one character's goal, you know? Because, like, the goal of this wasn't the reestablishment of the X-Men, but, like, that's one of the things that spins out of it, right? So... Big picture, we know that we're getting. Uh, we know that we're getting the the reign of X. That's what they're dubbing this next era of the mutants. Um, we we know that this is going to be probably what goes on for 2021. And they did release a teaser image uh, done up by Mahmoud Azrar. And I'm actually going to share screen now so that you guys can see this because I do think that there are a few things worth checking out within this uh, within this teaser image here. Uh, so here we go. Oh, based on, oh, based on gotcha. The, oh, gotcha. Okay. Based, based on that title, uh, I really hope that it, they'll join forces and try to rule the world. Like genuinely, I want them to like affect the world at that kind of a level. Well, take a look at this. Uh, Marvel says that that these are all deliberately chosen, and that all of this will play a role into <laughs> oh, what they're goes back going forward. Yeah. Oh, well, that's shit. issue eighteen of X Men. We're getting uh, really yeah X twenty three and Darwin back. All right, yep. the vault will open. Banshee's um, dead. Sorry, Banshee. Right? Didn't Banshee go with them? Who was the other one who went with them? No, it was uh, shoot, I it, can't remember. It was Banshee, but there was also someone else. Did Banshee go? Are you sure? I thought yeah. so. It was, wasn't it just three people? Yeah, no, it was. It was Banshee, the Summoner, and no, no, you're you're, you're, you're talking group. about the yep. gate. I was they thinking went, of that too. To, uh, oh, okay. Yep. Yeah. No, we're off. Uh. So if you look here, we've got Nimrod, who, as we know, is the ultimate threat to mutant kind. Uh, we've I got think, I don't know Mojo's in the background there. I think uh, <laughs> I think that's Shadow King, dude. Oh, I think you're right. Oh, I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Shit. Um, Arcade is there. Oh my god. We haven't seen him in a while. That's pretty cool. Um, we've got, I believe, that's Legion. Uh, adjacent to arcade, I think that's Legion. He was he uh, was in this uh, this issue. He had the Aviva uh, Kirkoa shirt on. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, we oh wait, see... are you sure that's not Queen Choir with the pink? Because there's a little tuft of oh, hair on top hair. too. Could be. That could, could be. be. Yeah. 
Um, Looks like we had we night. see uh, Angel, but he's got part Angel Wing and part Archangel Wing, and he is holding. Uh, is that Monet? Yeah, it looks like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not sure what that means. And like I, half half of her is different too. I think I my understanding of her powers is that they're similar to his in that they're sort of two beings. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm not sure what we're seeing behind Angel though. That face is that yeah. maybe uh, what is Cerebro's sister? Is that Danger Jocasta Danger? I think yeah. there is something called Jocasta as well. Though. Jocasta's no. um, Ultron's Ultron or something. Yeah. yeah. The Bride of Ultron. Yeah, it could. So um, it could be Danger, I guess. Jim Jaspers is over there being creepy in the corner <laughs> uh, to the left. So, yeah, and, and that there's a couple of uh, like Maverick is there. You see Maverick next to Wolverine. Not sure how he's going to factor. Um, but then for the most part, everything is kind of what you would expect. There are shadowy figures behind Gene and Cyclops. Not sure who they're supposed to be. I wonder sure if that's going to be later. like the new X-Men team. That that makes sense. I could see that. Um, Nightcrawler so with his book, maybe the the religion, the prayer book. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be the uh, yeah. So, oh, and then of course Emma holding the H for Hellions card, um, and Emma with a very throwback look. Hellfire, um, Hellfire, Hellfire, Hellfire. Oh yeah. yes, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Also, I I googled it. Uh, Sync went with them into the vault. There you go. Okay. There you go. So pretty cool. Uh, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited for the uh, the reign of X. Should be a lot of fun. Um, Dynasty Shadow King again, and I've I've been itching for them to continue the Nimrod stuff. So if he's on his way, uh, that's a big deal for sure. Can't wait for that Bay and uh, Cipher issue. The wedding. We, we had the wedding, baby. We got to continue. Oh yeah, it. that's right. No, they got to have the reception now. <laughs> so, overall, with Ten of Swords, before we wrap up, twenty-two issues, originally slated to be fifteen, got expanded. Now we've talked about why that would have been, and what I've settled on is because of the fact that we had the coronavirus and how it impacted comics i think that if they had not expanded it there would have been a significant gap mm. in terms of publishing sure um and so i think that they thought the best way to deal with that was to expand the event and i choose that as a jumping off point for this conversation because i do feel like it was weakened not strengthened by yeah. yes. the yeah. excess um, I can easily see how an event that's five issues shorter, or I'm sorry, seven issues shorter, cuts out a lot of the fat, of which I do believe there was a lot, um, and maybe doesn't feel the need to be as whimsical, although I think no matter how you slice it, there probably would have still been that. That tournament was probably yeah. always going to be something like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but... I I don't know. I think to uh, to Sean's point about trimming the fat, I think there's something to be said for how things like that play when they're more truncated. 
because I think that if yeah. If, yeah. if this had been 15 issues instead of 22, if this had been even less issues, if it had been 12, you know, like, I think if we had gone in expecting this very traditional tournament arc kind of thing, and then our our expectations were subverted uh, in <clears throat> in the way that they were, but it didn't take two weeks of that, I'm I think I might feel differently about it. Like, I might have felt less burned by the fact that it was kind of uh uh like a hard left turn to like becoming very silly all of a sudden if there hadn't been so much build up you know or if mm. the silliness had been one issue instead of like right six um that that could have played differently for me it could have played a lot differently I I agree with that. I think that, you know, I, I personally was never that into the high fantasy element of Excalibur. And that was very much at the forefront of this event, which I wasn't that high on. Um, I think it actually worked a lot better later on. Like, there were so many cool moments like uh, Saturnine riding Shogo and all these different things that they did with that that worked. Um, but I really, really would have preferred, I think, a more traditional um, by-the-numbers event with this. And I understand that a lot of this era of X-Men has been about the subversion of expectation and been about not restricting the X-Men and saying, hey, the X-Men can be anything. Yeah, And they've always been anything. And I think when you look at the last era of the X-Men prior to Hickman jumping on, it definitely always felt like they were in chains. It always felt like yeah. there was a ceiling on what they were allowed to do. And we know why. Um, but Hickman has decidedly broken that. And maybe this event was to be that definitive statement, although I think House and Powers did it in a more... <laughs> bold, brash, exciting way mm. um, that never felt like it, it never felt like it took you for a ride in a way that was annoying, whereas this did. Um, yeah. yeah. To, to your point, uh, it like the X-Men can be anything. And I think they could have been this high fantasy story. Like I, I'm, I, I think I think that's sort of what, what you were alluding to, Sean, is like they they could have been this even though it might not have been like the appeal necessarily, but it, it came down to the execution. And I think the execution, because of those longer issues, it built up to this epic that because there was so much buildup and less of the epic fizzled out for me at right. least and um, left sort of things on the table where I, I, I wish we could have uh, again, gotten, we've been seeing this gotten to the fights um, kept a little bit more traditional or, or even if it wasn't at least gotten the sort of heads up that hey this isn't going to be a typical competition this is going to be wacky this is going to be whatever then cool like lay that out in the story so that we're following along and not trying to figure out whether or not we should be taking this seriously or uh, lightly mm. yeah and, and something that um, you know Marco had been alluding to earlier was just the idea that you know, we sat through so much 
stuff um, to get to a place where, okay, now things matter. You know, now yeah, right. all this stuff is is relevant. Now the chickens are coming home to roost. And, you know, it is frustrating. You know, like, it is frustrating that for all these issues, Captain Avalon does not really acknowledge the fact that his sister is dead. And it it's only in the end when he's like, are you guys not, like, are you kidding me? Do you not see what we're dealing with here? It's like, well, did you? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, did you get it? Why, why didn't you say that? Where was the sense of urgency? <laughs> right. Um, and, and there were a lot of moments like that. And, and I'm not sure. I would love to see what the original Ten of Swords was supposed to look like. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I I would love to he- look at like a retrospective or something on on Ten of Swords to see what what the deal was, like which ones were the fillers and which ones were the ones added on all that stuff. So we well, can- and and just to hear stuff from their perspective too. Yeah, yeah, because it's the like dinner. oh, I'm sorry, go yeah, ahead. D- just the dinner immediately sticks out as being uh, extra. <sighs> Like mm-hmm. we talked yeah. about how ridiculous it was that they tried to poison Wolverine. And I feel like that's one of those things that like, all right, uh, we need it. We, uh, they're going to have a dinner and uh, we need, we need three issues with the dinner. So, okay. So how do you make that dramatic? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, they try to poison someone, you know, <laughs> things dance. like that. What's that Margo? They, they have a dance, right? They have a dance. Yeah. I, I also feel like showing, was it X-Men 13 like three times is probably like another thing where they had to build a story around it. Mm-hmm. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny because you say like it could be seven, like it was supposed to be seven issues shorter right now. I think it could have been 10. You <laughs> yeah. Know? Like I think it could have been a lot shorter because I, I think ultimately like the sum of its parts was never going to be an earth shattering, like groundbreaking event, you know, like it, it just, I don't know. Like, I feel like it had a lot of familiar trappings for what has been such a fresh era of X-Men that like, I think it was always going to feel a little bit like a step back, but mm. I think if it had been tighter, if it had been a little bit better executed, I think rather than it being like, I don't know, an event that I wanted to like a lot more than I did. I think I could have seen myself being like, hey, you know, it was a departure. It was different, but it was like, but it was fun, right? But it was, it was something. And I feel like what I'm left with with this is like, it's it's a lot of peaks and valleys. Like, were there cool moments? Yeah. Were there cool characters that we met here? Yeah. Are there really... I think a lot of exciting implications for the aftermath of this event. Sure. But that didn't make the 22 issue ride fun or, or worth the investment, frankly. Cause like to me, this is the least interested I've been in the X-Men since hotspots. You know, um, this is the first time that this, you know, there's been an issue here or there that hasn't landed. But this is the first time I've been in any way disinterested in what was going on in the overall, you know, Dawn of X era. And it was the last two weeks reading this event of just like, okay, this is getting to be a bit of a fucking slog. Yeah. 
and thank thank God that you know this all came out weekly. You know, we basically got three issues a week Holy for the whole shit. thing. Can you imagine if it hadn't been? Yeah, like man, that would have been something else. I would th- that would have lost me. You know, oh, yeah. I think I would have oh, been yeah. pissed about it to the point of two being years like, of two years on a monthly schedule. No, yeah, <laughs> no. I've been like, I can't, I can't follow this anymore. <laughs> I don't think. See, if if it had been weekly, I don't think they would have needed to stretch it out. Definitely not. That's fair, but either way, right? I guess, I guess it's like it was fine. You know, mm. like it it lost me at a certain point, and I think it ended in a way that was a lot more satisfying than I think I expected at this point, And I got things out of it. Um, I'm not off the train, but I will say, I, call. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I, I think, I think what I'll say is that this series and the many problems that I had with it benefited quite a bit from the fact that I have been so fucking high on the things that came before and that I was so in, that I was willing to give them enough rope to hang themselves on this one. And that like, I'm still, I'm still with it, but, uh, I'm excited to get back to business as usual, getting away from the event schedule, away from the, all the books are focused on one thing. Like, let's get back to like, what's going on with the X-Men right now. Not, you know, saturnized loopy plot. To, to build on that. Uh, I was just thinking about how we were introduced to Araco and how we were introduced to um, Genesis and like that whole crew and how it it pays off um, in the end. But um, I'm I'm at least similar to P. I'm, I'm at least content enough that I'll continue on because I am more excited to see how that stuff plays out um, and less so the ramifications coming out of directly out of this and more how we're going to deal with the um the aftermath of Araco specifically because that that to me was the buildup that I thought was really interesting that it gets addressed here but it's not the focus and also the way about it was uh, not as satisfying for me because of all the the fluff in between I was asked by carlos underscore one on our discord server if I thought that once it's all said and done, if they stick the landing, will this event be looked upon better uh, once it's one, you know, when it's over, when it's collected? And I do think they stuck the landing. I do think that the last three issues were probably the best of the whole event. Um, I think that's fair to say. And. For me, that does not change the fact that this event was 22 issues. Each of them was four or more dollars. I bought every single one, which is uh, like $80. Um, And that's unreal. Well, you got a PS5. You got money to burn. You like, bought X, you got you bought ten of swords. You clearly have money. <laughs> but if you had comicsology, you get fifty percent off of every issue. If we have the unlimited, so I only paid seventy five dollars. 
Hey. Great. I mean, <laughs> I think I think either way, that's not. I don't know, man. I I don't yeah. I don't feel like it was worth that. Yeah, agreed. For what we got. Yeah, agreed. Not and only, I, I go ahead. I, I don't think I, to go back to to Carlos's question. I don't think it. Uh, in the end, I don't think the 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 ends were well. The that it will be looked on kindly. You know, I think that the end will justify the means, but I don't think the, the journey was worth it. I've seen a shift in the conversation online. Uh, reviews have been very, very kind, um, uh, especially to the last few, to the last few issues. And there's been some level of revisionist history. I'm not in a place where I'm comfortable with that yet. I very much am in the place of, you know, this event was very costly. Um, and I don't feel satisfied. So it's unfortunate, yep. but I have been saying I'm more excited to see what happens when X23 and Darwin come out the vault than I am for the resolution of Ten of Swords. That should not be how I feel. Yep. Ten of Swords felt like a detour. It felt like it was going to be a detour from the second they said that all of these people were going to be wielding all these different swords. I remember sitting on this podcast saying, this don't feel right. And I'm not saying that I'm a prophet, but it won't right. Um, and I hope, number one, that the next event they do is spearheaded by Hickman only because he has a way of approaching any type of story that feels like you get meat out of it like mm. had he been the only creator on this yeah maybe it still would have had some some weird jokey stuff but the the meat would have been there um so there's that um i don't want it to be 22 issues you know i don't i don't want any more events like that um you know, and I don't want to feel like I'm being taken away from what I was interested in in the first place. Yeah. That's yeah. weird. It's weird, and that hasn't happened before. Like, when you look at what Hickman did with the Avengers, every event felt like it mattered to the, to the larger story. Infinity felt like it mattered, you know? I mean, it played into uh, Secret Wars and everything else. And uh, this just doesn't feel like that. And maybe that's because he was the only writer on Avengers at the time. Mm. I, I don't know. I also just think it's like. I remember when we were talking about Hoxpox, uh, in one of the early, early issues. I remember Sean, and it might have been the episode that was just the two of us. I remember discussing that as an event. And I remember calling that an event. And I remember you saying like, Oh, like, is this an event, though? Like, would you consider this an event? And to me, um, it felt like an event at the time. I think I would still argue it's an event. But I also think that you saying that comes from the fact that it, it was an unorthodox event. And I think, to me, if they're going to do another quote-unquote event that is contingent on the X-Men, I would rather it be more like Hoxbox because I look at this and this is, I think a, a way more traditional event, you know, and in all the wrong ways, 
you know, because you you said it best, Sean, like it, it feels like a diversion. It doesn't feel like a natural evolution of, right? Because you look at Hoxbox, Hoxbox builds a natural event and set of stakes and, and then everything that's happened since then has been the spill out from that, right? The mutants establish a society and then now the world reacts to that. And now they have to establish, you know, a solution to this problem and a solution to that problem. And, and it, it, it all felt like it's been one thing feeding into another thing. You know, it's one bucket going into a larger bucket into a pool. And with this, it just, especially for some books, it feels like such a fucking diversion where if like, maybe you could argue that it's natural on some level, an evolution of like some of the stuff that was going on in Excalibur, right? But like we were reading Marauders, like it, it totally just fucking grabs the wheel and spins it, you know? And it's like, all right, now we're dealing with this. And it has nothing to do with what was going on before. It has nothing to do with Kitty. Kitty's not even in it. Um, so like I think to me that that's like the cardinal sin of it is like not only is the whole you know, Saturn Eye, Swords, Captain Britain, mysticism, like, that does feel pretty far away from where a lot of these books live and a lot of what we've been dealing with. But I also just feel like it really has nothing to do with Krakoa and, like, what the whole narrative of Krakoa has been, which is what does a mutant state mean? What does a mutant state look like in the world, in the human world? Like, all those things. We've totally moved away from all those problems to be like, there is a magical, otherworldly threat that we've got to deal with right now. Everybody go get a sword. And that's not what we were dealing with. You know? And, like, it it feels like a total 180, a total pivot. And, like, I just... I don't... I don't think that ever works. I think that always disrupts the flow of a monthly superhero book is when you do something like that. But let alone when you have this whole corner of the universe that has been the X-Men stuff that feels kind of siloed from everything else that's going on. And it does feel like its own thing um, to just upend all that that I've been interested in, that I've been invested in, that I'm still interested in and invested in. I just feel like I've had to like have every single thing I care about and every thread that I that I want to pull on just like put a pin in that. We're going to go do this other thing for a while. All right. And I don't think it was worth it. My my last point is summarized in a tweet um by Lex Kuhn. It says, "I guess we were all expecting X of Swords to be like Mortal Kombat, but it turned out to be Mario Party." <laughs> That's fucking solid. Damn, yeah. <laughs> the points don't good. matter. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. get bonus stars at the end. Who gives a shit? Yeah, it really felt like whose line is it anyway? Yeah. Um Well, we'll see how things turn out. I always say that like I don't say this, but in my mind I always say um <laughs> I don't ever say this, but you know, it's but I sometimes say, it. you know, <laughs> like I always uh, say. In, in, yeah, I always say it in my mind <laughs> that an event is probably not great if it's in continuity. If you can read the next chapter of the story and disregard the event, like, um, yeah. 
What do you mean? So, so for example, after Dark Knight's Metal, the events of that book weren't really reflected in the mm-hmm. wider like DC. Like it didn't matter. Um, Heroes in Crisis didn't matter. Uh, Doomsday Clock didn't matter. Um, you you know like yeah, I like Doomsday Clock, but it didn't. It wasn't good for it wasn't good for DC in terms of like it didn't uh, upend anything. It didn't change anything. You could not have read Doomsday Clock, read every other book, and it was you know it was fine. DC Universe would be fine. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um. So we'll see how they go forward with the uh, Reign of X and how much. Ten of Swords needed to happen in order to get where we're going. I suspect that the answer is not so much. If X Men can immediately go and deal with the result of the Vault, uh, eh, I don't know. We'll see. But go ahead, Kill. I was just gonna say, but I mean, we're also dealing with a whole new mutant population. Apocalypse is gonna be gone. Uh, Doug's married. Yeah. Uh, you know. I think that's what's going to be interesting is I think that there will be a lot of things that spin out from it that will matter. I just, that doesn't make this event good. That just means that there might be good things that come from it, you know, but like, all that said, I think it, to me, it feels like what this ultimately represents is the first and hopefully only stumble in what has been a mostly good chapter of X-Men storytelling. Hmm. No, X Men uh, Apocalypse is gone. That's it, Sean. I'm dropping X Men. If you if you put this up for review, I I refuse. Feel you. All right. Here's what. Here's my. Here's my thing. What if we just kill Marco again, <laughs> and then he just forgets that he Bro, ever said that. Honestly, with foresight now, like w- knowing that that's what would happen, I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> Call me when Apocalypse comes back. Thank you. Fair enough. That's going to do it for our review of these books and our retrospective on the whole event. Uh, if you feel differently than us, certainly do write in. Uh, we, we have had conversations on our Discord about this event, and it's certainly been very divisive. Um, I don't think that history will be kind to Ten of Swords, but of course, that remains to be seen. Um, we will continue with some amount of reviews for the X-Books. Uh, at the very least, we will continue to talk about what happens in the X-Men proper title, and we'll see how the other books develop. If we feel that they're worth talking about, if you guys write in and say you want to hear us talk about them, then we'll do that. Um, if not, you can rest assured that at least I will be reading um, all of them uh, because the X-Men still, despite this, is the most interesting corner of the Marvel Universe right now. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm still very invested in this era of the X-Men, you know, like I, um, since house and powers, it's felt special. It's felt like you're reading a run that you'll look back on historically as like what a time this was, what a moment this was for this, this group of characters that. Um, that I've always really loved and had had affinity for, but like had fallen out of for a long time. Um, so I, I'm still I'm still with you, Sean. Where like I want to know where it goes from here, and you know I think I think I'm on this ride until the end. Will I read every single title? Probably not, but I definitely want to keep up with what's going on and and see 
what Hickman has planned for the world. <laughs> Bless you. Thank you. So, again, write in. Let us know your thoughts about Ten of Swords. You can hit us up at thecomicspalsgmail.com. Get us on our social media pages. Uh, just as a reminder, we have switched over um, to Podbean as our host. So go and support us over there um, or wherever it is that you like to listen to our show, um, wherever you take in your podcasts. Make sure that while you're there, you give us a rating. It really helps us out a lot. Um, in addition to that, you can head over to our YouTube page and subscribe to our channel. If you're not a regular YouTube viewer, you're a few clicks away from doing us a huge favor and clicking that subscribe button by going to youtube.com slash the comics pals, just hitting that red button and the notification bell so that you know when we drop new content. Um, join our Discord server. There's always a link to it in every episode of our show. There's always a Discord link. Occasionally, we throw that out on social media. So if you want to join our Discord server, uh, it's not hard to find. Believe us. Um, and if you need a link for some reason, Hit us up on social media. We will definitely provide that for you. Um, come hang out. We're always having a great time over there. And uh, I think you'll you'll find a channel that suits you. Um, and just as a quick reminder, our book club uh, for Kingdom Come is out now. You can go check that out. We've got a long list of book clubs that we've done and a long list of book clubs that are coming. So if you've never given our book clubs a shot before, now's a great time to jump on board because I promise you that at some point we have covered a book that you like. It's it's almost impossible for that to not be the case. And if you are that unicorn and we haven't covered a book that you like, let us know and we'll do it. Challenge also accepted, if, motherfucker. Also if, you're, also, if you're a unicorn, give Marco a call. He's looking for a third. Oh. <laughs> Shit. Wow. That was good. Let's do some plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, If you want to get some more content from me, you can, of course, catch the Potscast. It's a weekly Nintendo podcast I host over on uh, LootPots.com. Go check it out. All right, Kale. Hey, so uh, special PSA. We are still in a motherfucking pandemic. Um, don't forget to don't leave your house, uh, wear a mask, stay six feet apart. And it's not only for you. Uh, don't be like my dad. It's for other people Damn the as shade. well. So, uh, if you have to isolate, isolate because other people depend on you. Be a grown up. be responsible. This is the world right now. Get over it. Uh, Toto and Toe on Twitter and Instagram, T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Uh, Marco. If you are that unicorn, you can find me at Mr. Marco Animoto on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I don't have anything to talk about. Okay. All right. That's rare. Um, <laughs> as for me, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. I am no longer a salty boy. Uh, I've ended the show for the last two weeks talking about how uh, upset I am about not having a PS5. I finally have one, and so I will be playing Marvel Spider-Man until my eyes bleed. I need all them backpacks. With that, we're the Comics Pals signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Put my body on the line for that PS5. <laughs>